0: This is MPN. Welcome to MPN. We've uh, been away for a while, but saw the bat signal for more podcasts go up into the night sky, and and I just can't not answer the bat signal, right? I You're mean so we're, we're back. I am. I mean, I'm not the hero that the podcast world deserves, but they're the one that you need right now, frankly. Um so we can call this like season 2 of the Macera podcast <laughs> network. Like we did a few, we took a hiatus and now we're back. I guess it's more of like a BBC schedule of television mm. than an American one, but regardless Yeah, it's a series. It's a, series, yeah, it's a, but... se- it's a okay. very short series. You get in, and get out. You just Nothing but quality all the way through. We're um, planning a bunch of new shows uh, for you guys to enjoy, so hope you enjoy them. But on to this episode, where we want to talk a little bit about a film that just came out called Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And to help us do that, please say hello to the lovely and talented Casey McCarron. How are you, Casey?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am good. So we have seen this movie twice for you, the podcast audience, so yes. that... There can be no doubt about plot, about characters, about...
1: <laughs> well, let we'll
0: see. Well, your laugh makes it <laughs> seem like maybe you're a little nervous, but um, you seem okay with it. Um, but yeah, we kind of want to get into this because this is a really interesting franchise. Uh, it's been going on for 19 years now. I can remember going uh, to the first one my dad took me because he was a big fan of the original show, and it was really exciting. Like, I am seeing this PG-13 movie with my dad, and you know and and so it was a lot of fun i didn't understand a lick of it i didn't understand one thing that happened but <laughs> ah. i just enjoyed seeing all the cool action and feeling kind of like a like a real grown up with it so that was kind of my way of introducing myself to the series and um over the 19 years that they've made other movies i mean it's been remarkably consistent i think we'll kind of get into it a little bit but this one is no different. I mean, this one is just as fresh and just as interesting and fun as any of the other ones. Um, it's really hard to try to think about, like, which one our favorites are. We we tried before we saw it, and it got a little tough that to try to figure out which one is the best because they all are so different.
1: I know which one my favorite is, but then putting them in an order after that I think is really difficult.
0: I think so, for too. For me. Yeah. Because, they, I mean they are so kind of similar. I mean, they they have a similar type of story. It's one of the things that we were talking about is that throughout all the movies, it kind of seems like they have a central plot that they kind of go back to, but the pieces around it tend to change. So the players around it, but there's always a core thing down the middle, which is like, well, they're wrongfully accused of something and they need to clear their name. This one is kind of like that too. But again, even though it has that story, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that the action is always so good, but it just it makes it feel really fresh and really you know new, like it's never been done.
1: Yeah, I think it works. I think though, now that they've done it like four out of five times, yeah. um, Since you know Kittridge thinks that Ethan is the bad guy in the first one, the second one it's not an issue. The third one, you know, they like catch him, and Lawrence Fishburne thinks that he's the bad guy. And, like, the, Ford one, the fourth one, obviously, it's Tom um, Wilkinson, like, dies. and um So, yeah, and then this one. So it, it happens every time. And that's okay. I think it's worked fine. But I think going forward, I don't think that they should do it anymore. Because it is pretty obvious that's kind of what they're doing is that they have to go out on their own every time to prove that they're right. So I think it seems like going forward – that they're going to have a like a solid, a solid like mm. IMF, and we're just going to go on a mission the next yeah. time. That's kind of how it seems. It's so. like when you
0: see a Superman movie. It's like, well, I wonder what the foil is going to be in this Superman movie. Could it be Kryptonite? Could it be something else? You'll have to come and see. It's
1: Kryptonite. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, so let's kind of dig into this one. The uh, the Rogue Nation uh, refers to um, this agency, this sort of shadow agency uh, that. Simon Pegg's character calls an anti-IMF it's called the syndicate and it's made up of these international um, spies that have either been disavowed or have been killed or or, or thought thought to be killed or uh, you know presumed missing or anything like that and they are coming together to basically create this sort of new world order um, through chaos essentially Uh, and we find in the beginning we kind of come in in the middle of I guess the search for them uh in that Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt um, is in the middle of tracking down the syndicate and he thinks he's pretty close he's getting pretty close to to catching him to catching them only to find out that everything is really different and they kind of have the drop on him and that kind of gets the movie going. I mean, it starts out with this really big action sequence on an airplane that we have seen in the trailers uh, where Tom Cruise is hanging off the side of an airplane, actually hanging off the side of a flying airplane, and is trying to intercept some nerve gas that uh, was on its way to cause havoc, really. Um, and, I mean, the, just right off the bat, I mean, they're always pretty known for the, for getting a a good – bang from their action sequences and this this one it immediately begins with the scene that you see in the trailers and you kind of think well i hope this isn't the climax hope they're not ruining the climax not only are they not ruining the climax it's the first scene in the movie they're like this is we're just putting it out there this is what it's going to be like forever keep going so yeah it's it's really a lot of fun so um so in that uh tom cruise's ethan hunt gets captured by uh the syndicate and is able to escape with the help of a former british intelligence officer named ilsa faust who is presumably maybe working for the syndicate you're not really sure maybe she isn't working for the syndicate i should mention there are going to be spoilers abound for this movie we're just going to go blow through it we've watched it if you haven't planned if you're planning on watching it i say go see it and then listen um because We'll try I mean, maybe we'll try to tiptoe around it, but generally it's just gonna be now no. the, the plot I don't want to no this is the word this is this is the plot um so while all that is going on, there's a an inquiry by the u s Senate um about the i m f the team that Tom Cruise and jeremy Renner's characters all work for basically and they end up shutting down the i m f so it's um Alec Baldwin's character, who's the head of the CIA, and Jeremy Renner's character, Andrew Brandt, and they are basically, or William Brandt, I should say.
1: They are kind of doing whatever they want, and they're not really getting the job done. Right. So they get shut down because basically they can't tell the difference between them being comparable people who are getting their missions done and just luck of whether or not it just goes in their favor. Yeah. So they decide to shut them down.
0: And sort of absorb the pieces, the best pieces, into the CIA. So we cut to six months later, and both Brant and Benji Dunn, who is Simon Pegg, are both working at the CIA, and they're trying to track down Ethan Hunt, who was in London tracking the syndicate, was captured, uh, managed to escape with the help of Ilsa Faust, this uh, the, the the British operative, and has been on the run ever since. So it kind of becomes the CIA trying to hunt down Ethan Hunt while Ethan is trying to hunt down the syndicate. So everybody's trying to stay one step ahead of the other really. Um so then uh Brant he recruits uh Vingrames's character, Luther Stickle. It was good to see him in this movie to try to find him. And they start jet setting all around the globe, to going to Cuba, to Morocco. They go to London. That's kind of where a majority of the 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 big action stuff takes Vienna. place. Into where Vienna, Vienna as well. Yeah, um, for the uh, for the opera. So, I mean, that's just. I mean, that's what the first half, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about
1: yeah a lot in, of it. I really, mean, in general, it's it's him trying to. You know, with the help of these people, but um, sort of on their own, try to stop um, Solomon Lane, who is the a former British intelligence person um, who created the syndicate mm-hmm. and looks and acts like Steve Jobs.
0: Yes, he dresses in all
1: black. He's got that black turtleneck, and he's got the glasses on at the end, and mm-hmm. he looks like Steve Jobs, and I feel like it's very much, he doesn't really want to get his own hands dirty very often, like, yeah. he shoots again a couple of times, but mostly, it's him, you know... Delegating. Yes, delegating to all of these people, which is basically what the Steve Jobs trailer, like, yeah, which portrays is the trailer, him yeah, the, the, as, which we've seen twice now before this movie, of, yeah. like, where he talks about, like, you know, the musicians play their instruments, he plays the orchestra. Like, it, yeah. it just, it's right there for you to notice...
0: So very little is known about Lane the bad guy uh throughout you know you get little bits and pieces from ilsa, uh which I thought was a nice little touch the this woman's name is Ilsa, and they go and meet her in Casablanca, Morocco, which I thought was i i that had to have been on purpose um, so they have to i mean there's there each little plot point is kind of or maybe action set piece is based around trying to bring down the syndicate or find some piece of information to help bring down the syndicate. There's uh, a great action sequence where they have to steal information from a, uh, you know, a heavily locked down guarded place, (laughs) you know, information that uh, they're going to hopefully try to use later on. That becomes a big point uh, towards the, as we get towards the end. So, Eventually, the CIA uh, gets wind of what's going on um, in terms of, of where Ethan Hunt is, and and they all kind of come together at this big climax in in London, and this big showdown between um, uh, the IMF and with the head of the syndicate and with the syndicate the remaining syndicate members as well, um, with some of our other main characters placed into peril. Um, and uh and yeah, and they save the day. Right?
1: Yes. That's an
0: oversimplification, I think. But I mean we get the idea. I mean, there's a lot of little bits and pieces in there that really it would take the entire time of us describing because there's lots of will they, won't they? Is she bad? Is he bad? Who's working for which team? What is their ultimate goal and what is their ultimate mission? It's a lot of uh you know espionage stuff, stuff that the that this series has kind of come to, you, you, the, the things you've you've come to know from this series, and um, so it would take a really long time for us to try to describe everything and without actually seeing it. Uh, but suffice it to say, I think that there are definitely things in there that are worth talking about. Um, you know, we talked up a little bit about the action set pieces, but One thing that really kind of struck me uh, just right off the bat, and I think they did this also in Ghost Protocol, the the fourth film in the series, is they created a real team dynamic Mm -hmm. right off the bat. I mean, the first shot in the movie, we do not even see Tom Cruise for the first few minutes. He's nowhere to be found. You don't know where he is. You just are hearing Simon Pegg's character and Jeremy Renner and Ving Rhames talk back and forth trying to do this and you're kind of wondering well where's Tom Cruise and all this and then he jumps onto the wing of a plane and then hangs on the side of a plane as it takes off so in the first three movies it was very much the Tom Cruise show maybe with Ving Rhames maybe with these other people back and forth but with this one he seems like just an important uh, just an as important part as maybe some of these other characters are in there as well I mean did you notice that is that something that 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 struck that, that that struck you at all
1: Yeah, I think they all worked really well together and I think it was a good way to balance since so um you know in the first one Ving Rames is the tech guy and then later Simon Pegg comes into the series and becomes the tech guy and Ving Rames isn't in it so much like he really isn't in for so I think that they found a good way to balance two tech guys in a movie which is to make it that they're separate that he is like that Ving Rames's character is Jeremy Somewhere Renner's else. tech guy yeah. And then Tom Cruise has Simon Pegg. So you found a way to bring in two tech people. Because even the, in the beginning, he's not supposed to be there. It's Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg. And Jeremy Renner is surprised that Ving Rhames is there. And it, you know Simon Pegg says it's because he needed assistance. Mm-hmm. Not help, assistance. Not help, assistance. But yeah, yeah. That, So they were able to manage to have two people that have generally the same role, but put them into this movie. And I think that it worked well um, as a team. Yeah. And I do enjoy the opening sequence with Tom Cruise hanging off of the plane, which he had to do eight times. They did it eight times. Wow. He had to wear special contacts um, because they had to deposit the wind and everything like that and the debris. And he was talking about putting his feet up. Like, he really wanted his legs to come off and, like, dangle off the plane. But then as he was doing, he realized that those were really helping him kind of stay on the plane. But, you know, they got it done anyway. So it looks great. It looks amazing. So
0: Knowing that and then, I mean... Because you can just, in this day and age, you would just kind of assume, oh, of course, that's just a blue screen. He's just hanging off of, uh, you know, because he's hanging off the side of an airplane, and then they just sort of dangle it over a green screen and then just put it in the ground. Yeah, it would
1: just be a set.
0: Yeah, but it really isn't. I mean, because you can kind of tell when it's blended and when it's not, and just like it was kind of reminded me a little bit of the dark knight rises that opening sequence that's all done with very little cgi as well when they're when bane's hijacking the plane it's the same kind of thing that yeah this is totally real and very dangerous and there's a reason why he would have fired the insurance company from the last movie yeah. um, cuz they wouldn't let him climb the the tower Burj but Khalifa, yeah. yeah but this is but you know in talking about how this movie fits in with the other four that plain section basically in the beginning is going to be the one stunt I think that we remember there, there's usually one every single movie yes where he, he does something Tom
1: Cruise does a stunt yeah where he movie. does
0: something really crazy and where he does something really outrageous and he I mean he's not young like he's not a youngish guy anymore I mean he still relatively is but for him to be basically it should have been reversed the the, the the stuff he should be doing in the last four or five years, he maybe should have been doing 20 years ago. And the stuff that he did in maybe the first two movies should have been the stuff he did now. But that just makes it all the more impressive that he's willing to push himself and he's willing to sacrifice and, you know, essentially just put his life in extreme danger in order to just get this stuff right. And it's really, yeah, really it cool. Yeah, to make
1: it look good. Because no other actor's really to do that i mean you have maybe like jackie chan but that's a separate thing that's part of his life tom cruise is not like a stunt person um to do any of that stuff but yes, yeah, so we would have the plane in five we'd have the burj khalifa in four mm-hmm. i guess we have the shanghai building in, in three, three yeah
0: there's a lot of falling there's, there's oftentimes a lot of falling that's happening and a lot of just like Oh, I'm getting to the very end. I better catch myself, sort of thing, it's just which
1: is bodily pur- hurling yeah. towards the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So two
0: the free the the free climbing. Yeah. I the rock climbing and, and then, then the knife, knife. yeah, and The
1: knife that some comes so close to his eye it's crazy. hmm Um yeah, and then the first one would be like the water tank. Um in uh, the restaurant where he has to run out of the building with the water Yeah, tank. where he
0: throws the gum at the he, throws the... he does the red light, green light. Yes. With the gum and blows it up when he's talking with Kittredge. Um, mm-hmm. What's funny, too, is that one of my everlasting memories with Mission Impossible 2 is actually on the DVD. It was that clip that they did for the MTV Movie Awards where Ben Stiller played his stunt mm-hmm. double... Tom Cruise, C-R-O-O-Z-E, and they basically, you know, there's, it's just a really funny sketch, and it's sort of funny to think that, in a way, he doesn't really even need a stuntman because he does all that stuff himself, so I guess maybe either it adds an extra layer of ridiculousness to it, or it's just an obsolete thing these days.
1: So I don't really know, and maybe you can think of something, Um, what do you do next to up the game from the Ooh. plane. Like, there, there was an interview with um, Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson, and they were talking, um, and Simon Pegg joked about, like, space. Like, mm-hmm. going to space. Like, it just, because there's nothing there, and then that just made me think of Sharknado 3, because they go to <laughs> they space. They go to space, um, yes. But, yeah, but I don't I don't know what you do after that, after you hang on to a plane. While it goes into the air, I just have no idea what you could possibly yeah, they, due c- to top that.
0: Because they've pretty much... I mean, they have a, a car chase every single movie. They have a motorcycle chase seemingly every single movie. So those two are just out.
1: Yeah, and you can't obviously drop a car out of a plane because that's already been done mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, So maybe he... I don't know. He can't do Gosh. that it's like He hops from one plane to another while it's in the air? Like, I don't that know. That seems
0: impossible, but I mean, they could probably find some way for him to do it. Cause it, would, t- <laughs> it would have to be, have some sort of practicality to it as well, like some sort of practical... The, uh, application like it would be cool for him to go to space, but I don't think they can actually have him do it. He yeah,
1: let's just have him uh, just ride the motorcycle onto an airplane. Something. Yeah, something yeah. else. Which is also something that he does yeah. in this movie. That he's actually doing is. Um, riding that motorcycle and he's also doing i guess most of the the car stunts yeah as well i so.
0: thought you were gonna say it's already been done in another movie and live for your die hard
1: oh no <laughs> you just, well, you, but you killed he, an airplane he with just, a helicopter he drove like he flew the the car into it he yeah. wasn't inside of the car i was no. thinking that tom cruise would be on the motorcycle if he was doing something but i see like he'd have to be yeah I, I have, no, I have idea. no
0: idea. I mean, because they, they've, they've covered all all sorts of land and air travel. Maybe sea travel. Maybe they do something
1: underwater something on a boat. Yeah, going you know? ride a boat. He's going to ride a missile. Onto... Like, he's going
0: to come out of a, oh. like, they're going to shoot a submarine. He's going to be on a submarine. He's going to be hiding in the little missile area, and they're going to shoot it, and he's going to have to hold on to it. As it goes and, like, a release before it explodes. I don't know.
1: I have, I have no idea what he what he does. Tom
0: Cruise, damn it, you've conquered land, you've conquered air. Where, where, where do you go from here? Because they're going to make another one. He said they're going to start – they want to start shooting next summer already, which is interesting because they take their time with these movies. They don't make them – I mean, this has been – this is 19 years, about almost 20 years, and they've made six – five movies? <laughs> Five movies. Yeah, five yeah. movies.
1: Well, because they're all working. They all yeah. have other jobs. It's not like they're living for the series. So they, they take their time with it. Obviously, yeah. Tom Cruise seems to care a little bit about how it, the, the product turns out in the end. So, um, But that's, he's always done
0: that, I think. He's always had yeah. that passion. That's the one thing you hear about him is that he's passionate about every project that he's in, and he gives it his all, and he is just the nicest guy in the world, and he's – great to work with and it shows when he's doing things like this and he's passionate and he looks like he wants to be there
1: but anyway so i did enjoy the opening i didn't get that like i didn't think that we were already like in the middle of the syndicate though like i assumed that job was like they're finishing that job and he was going to just get his next mission and it was just that instead of him receiving his next mission the syndicate had Decided that they would just like tamper with it, and they were going to get him. Then I just thought it was like a new thing. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just assumed that like, well, that's what we were starting off. Like he obviously was aware of them a little, you know, like mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Um. But that the before the plane stunt had nothing to do with um the syndicate. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Um. But I liked that. Um. Solomon Lane was introduced right away. I was glad that that happened right away, and I think that they're trying to do different, interesting things we, they've built with the different devices for him to get his missions where it was like the tapes or the sunglasses or the disposable camera yeah um or the phone booth and i feel like at the phone booth, it's like well, we're gonna make it a little bit different so it's like we're using smoking a P- in yeah. the first one the sunglasses explode and then we have but then it's like the phone booth it like doesn't self-destruct right away so he has to like hang it up so then we turned it into a joke and then in this one it's been tampered with and they got to him before. Mm-hmm. So even that I feel like is something small yeah. that is evolving in every film to keep it fresh. And then instead of dating themselves like with a disposable camera, it's just like, well, we're just going to go retro. We're just going to go back yeah, to records. We know back. that it's something that, you know, is not maybe.
0: Yeah. in the third one, he gets his mission by looking at a, disp- a Kodak disposable camera that you would buy at Disneyland or something. And he gets it by scrolling through the image. It's very, very weird to look at. Even now i mean it's not that old it's less than ten years old, but even seeing him use one of those things, I haven't seen those in about that amount of time in so long um so it was really interesting to see that but um but yeah i mean the the you talk about Lane being introduced he one thing I think that this that this movie had at least over ghost protocol a little bit, and some of the others is that it had a clear, concise villain it had a very good villain. He seemed like he was controlling everything. We talked about the Steve mm-hmm. Jobs corollary, but he was interesting. He kind of had that villain snarl to him. His his British accent is not uh, it, it, it's it's not refined. It's very dirty and
1: oddly soft spoken.
0: Yeah, but but you could tell that there's evil seeping under the surface. There's <laughs> one scene when he's when they're when basically Ilsa has to come back to him because Ilsa is playing both sides. She's playing the syndicate. She's basically gone undercover to try to, um, infiltrate the syndicate and is also reporting back to both British intelligence and is kind of playing with IMF a little bit. So she's sort of going back and forth. And I think the the movie does a, a pretty good job at different times, making you doubt her intentions one way or the other. Um, but at a few different moments she has pretty much messed up or imf or someone has come in and sort of blown her cover a little bit and she's had to go back and sort of grovel to to lane to try to get her job back and there's the one scene at the graveyard when she gives him the disc that that they had to you know risk life and limb for and he finds out it's empty and instead of just blowing up he has this very restrained like he puts his hand very gently on her on her face and starts to kind of grab it but not really grab it like yeah. there's so much anger that he has bubbling under the surface but he just keeps it so composed and that was and that would be very difficult for somebody in his you know with, with his amount of power to just be that restrained about it so i mean it was a good job acting and it was a in and it was a good job with the character as well
1: yeah well he's a bad guy he's very much in control So he doesn't like it. He doesn't make big movements. And that's the idea is that he would be manipulating everyone to do exactly what he wants to the point where, you know, Ethan almost seems to go a little crazy and come unglued because Lane is just so many steps ahead of him that it just – it's inevitable for it to work out the way that he wants it to. So I think that's why. It's just – he's so – you know.
0: I always like villains, and Lane is one of them. I like it when villains are written where – they are basically able to predict what will happen and set the chess pieces in motion. Um, The bad guy in Furious 7 and Furious 6 is a little bit like that, um, where you only get close to him if he wants you to, or you only end up in a certain spot because things have been put into motion well before. Um, And so how do you defeat somebody like that? How do you defeat somebody who has put all of these dominoes into play uh, so I think that that's, that's a really interesting thing and I think it's a lot of fun to watch on screen because uh, it really really tests the heroes and there actually feels like there's stakes which is something that this, that this movie and most of the movies do you actually feel like there are there is something that will happen, a major event will happen or maybe your characters are in danger at some point and, and so you really feel that there's some drama to it I mean, Tom Cruise obviously isn't going to die, so he's not going to. You know.
1: Even though that, I feel like they they sold well because usually it's not he can't die; like he's just not going to. We're just going to watch him do this stuff, but you still get nervous for him. The way that they build the tension, I think that they do that by having so many um, different conflicts in the same scene. So, for instance, when they have to go, you know, and steal the disc originally, it's like, all right, well, we have to break into this place. Well, we have to get like, you know, there's a fingerprint identification. They're going to see the way that you move. You have to have, like, a special key ring to get in. There's also water that's flowing into it. We have to go into that database. So Tom Cruise is going to have to hold his breath for four minutes. He's also exerting himself, so, like, that's, well, three minutes, but then I thought it was, I guess...
0: Those two minutes and then the extra minutes to, it to, to three change it. And yeah. then I guess it
1: was him exerting himself.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But then, you know, he gets in there, and he also there's this, like, metal thing that's spinning around, so he has to be very aware that this thing is, you know, continuing to come around. And then he has, like, multiple this. He's switching out, you know, like, this little information. Software information. Yes, that looks exactly like the old one, which I understand. But then, of course, at one point, the metal thing that's spinning around takes him with the current, and you can't tell which one is which. So they have all these little things that are just sort of, like, upping the ante. And then, like, like, Ilsa's job is to shut the water off. But, you know, the company turns it back on. So You have so many different things at the same time that are working against them that it really helps to up the tension versus mm-hmm. if it was just, well, he just has to hold his breath and then put in a different little cart and it'll be okay. So they do all these things and he does at one point. It's like, well, he can't hold his breath forever. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like he could die. Like they just, yeah. you know, so and she ends up saving him. And um, yeah, so I yeah. think that even though you know that like Tom Cruise can't die you still go along with it in the story you don't you're not thinking like oh he's going to make it there's no way mm-hmm. it's like no you completely you're yeah, going with You get with caught it, up you with sucked it. in yeah, the story you
0: see well that's just one of many wonderful action set pieces that they have throughout the movie there the the that's a good thing that you brought that up because there are a lot of them really have this multi-layered feel to them Um, There's a a great scene in Austria where Benji is – wins tickets to the Austrian opera, to the Vienna opera, uh, but only to find out that Ethan is the one who brought him there to try to help track Lane and track the syndicate and everything like that. And there's a Austrian head of state that's attending the opera, and what it starts – it starts as them – trying to track some information about the syndicate and kind of ends with them trying to save the Austrian head of state because there are people there from the syndicate that are trying to kill him. And so Tom Cruise gets into multiple fistfights, a number of different fistfights with one of the members of the syndicate, and then all the while there's three other people seemingly all over the place that are all trying all all, they're all set up to to try to kill this guy and um so it's a puzzle they benji's helping out a little bit and and tom cruise is helping out and and so there there's always a lot of pieces going on like you said they're always upping that tension they're always upping that um the action part of it yeah
1: there's a lot of, of moving parts and stuff i did think that it was odd with the technology and i know that benji and Ethan are obviously on their own, but I just one thing is I did think that the technology would be better than Benji having like the sketch of what Solomon looks like, and then individually has to go through the faces of every single guest. Like you think there'd be some sort of like facial recognition software that mm-hmm. would help him do it faster, but he's just going yep. individually, person by person, person, by person yeah. which I thought was uh, was funny. Yeah, um, and also the security at the opera is the worst security. <laughs> Ever like Ilse's gun, it's already there. It's already been planted, so I'm fine with that one. But the man has a, and I almost don't want to say flute because while it it's looks like, like a, a flute,
0: flugelhorn or something it's, like that, it yeah. doesn't
1: work because there's like a part a that's bend. like curved. Yeah. And so security is like taking the instruments out to like look at them, but instruments are hollow. If you wanted to hide something in an instrument, you would probably hide it inside of the instrument. Mm-hmm. But they don't check inside of the instrument. They just pick it up and put it back in. Or under so, the felt. I feel
0: like that's where you... Yes, like the you, box. Yeah, that's where you Really, keep you the, would
1: probably hide it in a box, but you right. think it would be easy enough. Like, no, they're going to check the hollow instrument to see if you just put it inside yeah. of there. It's like, nope, I'm going to pull this piece out and all the bullets are going to fall mm-hmm. out. Like, it's just... <laughs> so that was terrible. Why even it's have fun. the
0: flute... Why even have the instrument be the gun? Why not just, again, just put the gun in the box, have the instrument on top? They're not going to try to lift up the... It eh, doesn't, doesn't make any sense, but... Um, But yeah, that was interesting because the opera is playing in the background throughout the entire sequence. So instead of having a score or instead of having any other music, the music is the opera and it kind of elevates it a little bit because they, you know, they sync up the crescendos with the big action sequence, you know, the big fight scenes and then they... It, 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 so I mean, th- so that was really kind of cool because there was lots. It, it almost seemed like when they were fighting against the opera, because there was a lot of fist fighting, that they were almost putting on a production of their own. Yeah, it, it, it seemed very much like that's what they were going for. Like, hey, there's a production going on stage, but there's also one going on here as well. I thought that was really that. That was a nice juxtaposition, a nice little piece in there.
1: Yeah, it worked really well to have the to have the music in there and I don't know the names of the songs even though they're very recognizable and I just think of them as like Andrea Bocelli sings these you'll probably hear one in Las Vegas as you walk down the strip you're going to hear this as there's like a water fountain that's yes. going on at the same time it's okay.
0: called Turandot Turando by Puccini so you can look up that if you want to <laughs> check out What music was in that scene in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation?
1: Well, along with, like, the action sequence of the opera. So, the one later, um, like, the water one. Yeah. So, I feel like they had to up Ghost Protocol. So, in Ghost Protocol, they had the Burj Khalifa... Which goes... Which is
0: the giant tower.
1: It's the tallest building yeah. in the world.
0: Which, which he scales, basically. Yeah, yeah that yeah.
1: he's just, like, swinging mm-hmm. on and using suction cups on right. and everything like that. If you that haven't seen in it, the fourth it's one. wonderful. It's amazing. It's yeah. probably still my favorite action sequence in all of them. I think in all of the movies, that's probably my favorite one, is that whole scene. Because not only do you have that, you have um, the woman who killed Josh Holloway's character fighting Paula Patton inside mm-hmm. the building, yeah. along with, like, Benji and Jeremy Renner and... Um, Jeremy Renner's character yeah. that are trying to have like the switch faces and pretend to be like it's just yeah, it's, it's great. There's so many moving pieces, and then that moves into um, the sandstorm car chase. After that, and so it's like, well, how do you top that? And I feel like in this one, it's like, well, Tom Cruise Crom- almost dies. We have like this whole like water action sequence while Simon Pegg is trying to sneak into the building, and then they have like a car chase that happens, and then after the car chase, there is a whole motorcycle chase.
0: Immediately, uh, we're, we're talking maybe. 30 to 45 seconds in between all of these action sequences. So it's punctuated, the car chase is punctuated by Tom Cruise driving the car backwards off of a building. Yeah, and, like a staircase, like yeah. stairs.
1: He's just going backwards, which crashes. They almost die. They flip and then-
0: over, and yeah, they almost die. And then again, just 30 seconds after that happens, Tom Cruise is up out of the car into a motorcycle chase.
1: Well, he also grabs his sunglasses, his LGR sunglasses, which, you know, like, the product placement in this movie, while not, like, in your face, some of it does stand out very well, so I feel like, you know, you can wear your LGR sunglasses while on your Nokia phone, driving in your BMW, on your way to the opera, and then you can go home and you can play Halo 5 on your Dell computer. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, you're getting a Dell computer. Like, just all of that. Like, it's all just there, but... Um, yeah, so they feel like they had to up it, and it's going to have three action sequences together instead of like just the two Yeah. Um, before. But I don't understand how Ilsa's character, she...
0: Because we talked about how she's playing all these different sides, and there are different times where she's had to sort of go back with her tail between her legs and explain to the head of the syndicate, Lane, what happened, or how did I screw up, or how did I let this guy get away, and he, she's especially trying to convince... This guy to basically keep her alive and just then basically convince him that I'm still an asset. I still can be in play and be useful so that she can continue playing all these sides. But go on.
1: And I do buy it at the opera. She is supposed to um, be killing someone and then he sent two people as a backup to kill her if she doesn't go through with it. But she tries to say, well, it's Ethan Hunt's fault that this didn't happen. It's like, okay, that could be it. He could have gotten in your way, and that's fine. And in this one, they break in to steal the disc. They have the disc. She flees from um, Ethan and Benji. And she's supposed to be leaving with, like, all of Lane's guys. But she knocks all the motorcycles over. She tries to get away from them. And she does. And then she comes back. And I don't see how she would explain to lane that that happened like i don't and she tries to say it's like well because i'm not really sure you're a terrorist you want to kill people and then she finds out when they test the disc when she shows up that it is blank she did not know that it was blank right but now she has fled come back and the disc is blank and i don't see why he doesn't just kill her well
0: there's a scene in between those that i think might explain it
1: I don't see how it explains it to Lane. I mean, I see no, why it, she has to go right. back. It, it doesn't explain um, it
0: to Lane, but there's a scene where she goes back to London with the disc to speak to her handler Atley, who at works British for intelligence. British intelligence. He ends up, we find out he remotely deletes the information on the disc that she is then going to take back to Lane so that he can access it or whatever. Um, but I think her th- her idea was that if I have this disc, if I put it into the hands of our British intelligence, then I'm out. So she's burning a bunch of bridges because she thinks I'm going to get this at no at any cost. I'm going to get this disc into the the hands of the good guys. And then they're going to say, okay, that's it. You're done. We're going to bring you in. Good work. So she didn't expect to have to go back to do that, which is why she worked so hard to try to bring –
1: no, I desk, yeah. I get that. I don't get why when she goes back how she would justify doing that to Lane. Like I don't see how she'd explain like, well, you know, I'm just not sure about you being a terrorist. So I just decided I'm just going to knock all your guys down and I'm just going to run away when they shoot at me. But then I'm just going to come back because I was like, well, maybe I'll try this terrorism thing that yeah. I signed up for. Um,
0: you feel like he wouldn't buy it? Like, yeah, like, I feel like, to, yes, to, to I
1: feel s- like, you know, he would obviously check the disc because it's the thing that he really wanted, but then it's blank. It's like, all right, well, I'm just going to kill her. She's more work than it's worth. Like, she's not getting me, the th- she's not getting done what I want her to get done. Yeah. I want her to kill somebody, I want her to kill Ethan Hunt, like, I want, I want all these things to happen. She's not delivering on any of them, and so I feel like he would just kill her. Because, I mean, what happens next is he basically uses her as a messenger ...to go to Ethan, but he could have just found Ethan on his own. He doesn't really need her. I'm not saying that he should have killed her. I like how it all played out. I Mm -hmm. just, I don't know how she chooses to go back. Um,
0: It it seemed like a very convenient way for them to keep her alive and keep her working for Lane Yeah, I guess
1: that they're all just, you know, pawns. That they're all just things that that he's using. But the scene with with Batley was interesting with her boss because having watched it all the way through, there's certain scenes that are different now, watching them again. Like, they've planted things and they've said things that hold up on a second viewing that you wouldn't think of. So, like, when she's talking to her boss um, and is like, okay, I'm going in, I've got this disc. And he's trying to kind of, like... Because Atley is bad, basically, mm-hmm. he helped to set up the syndicate and he's helped to funnel money into all of these bank accounts mm-hmm. for the Prime Minister to use for his little, you know for the syndicate, yeah. for this little rogue nation of yeah. people to just kind of do what he wants. Yeah. Um So when Ilsa shows up and is like, hey, here's this thing. This is important and uh, she's like, Alright, you have this information, I'm out, he's like, Well what if that's what Lane wants you to think? <laughs> and it's like Yes, but why would he why would he have me steal it? And yeah. it's like, well, you know, you're all just pawns. He's just manipulating you and everything. And it doesn't really add like it seems a little odd at the time that he's just i guess as if he's you know just trying to like look at everything from every angle but it doesn't really her point is much stronger than mm-hmm. his and you don't think about it a lot at the time yeah. and then she doesn't want to go back and he kind of pulls it reminds me of face off where it's like well you know the cia contacted and i said that you were disavowed um it'd be a shame if we just you know forgot who you were yeah. and then you were just you stuck didn't have there anywhere to and, go which makes me think a face off because yeah. he's just stuck in jail yeah. as Caster Troy, but um, yeah, so like that holds up. It's like oh, because you were trying to basically just yeah. set her up because you don't want it to trace back to you. So that was like one thing that really is like all right. Well, that yeah. holds up. I'm watching it again. Well,
0: let's talk about her. Okay, she is great. She did I think a great the, job. the the, char- the acting she, she she's she does a, uh, a good acting job. But she, the, the character also very strong woman character. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really get the chance to pass the Bechtel test, although I think she probably would if she ever talked to another woman on screen. She's kind of the one, the one and only female in the movie, yeah. really. But, um, but a good one, yes. But a very good one. She is portrayed and essentially is throughout the whole movie. Ethan's equal. They she's not used as a prop to you know, for a love interest or just for basically like, she's not using like the um, Kate Capshaw way of just getting in the way of everything and messing up like in in, in Indiana Jones too. Um, But you don't ever get the sense that they don't see eye to eye or that she could ever not take him down really. And um, so I really, I I, I thought that was a nice little change um, because they have throughout the series have had, other female imf agents but i don't think you ever got the sense that they were ever on the same level i think this is the one where they're they're on equal footing in terms of knowledge in terms of fighting in terms of everything um i I mean being a woman what do you think (laughs) that's a lot of pressure on you i I mean that
1: that's true i think it could also be that she's not part of while she's part of the team, she's not part of the team because they're questioning her the whole time. Like, as a team, Ethan is in charge. Like, he is the leader of everybody. You need a leader. And since she's not part of their team directly and they're constantly trying to kind of find out who she is, um, I think that that works really well for her character. But that also makes her an equal that he can't best her. That when he first meets her, she saves him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she figures out a way to beat him again. Like, with the water sequence and, like, chasing... She beats him again. And then they try to catch her um, when they confront it again, and she gets away. Mm-hmm. So he never really bests her yeah. at any point in the movie, and then and they just agree to go kind of, like, their There's separate, separate ways, ways at the end. So that makes her really strong. Um, the, they, they've just been different, kind of, I think. You know, in each movie, there were just sort of, like... There were female agents in the first one, and then there was sort of, I guess, the um, coworker slash honeypot kind of mm-hmm. um, situation going mm-hmm. on in yeah. the in the first one, and then in the second one, you have Fanny Newton, who is the thief, who I guess but I mean trying to
0: recruit her to work. She's not an IMF agent; she's just a, no, she's a, a, a common thief. thief. Yeah
1: um i mean she's supposed to be strong yeah you know um i mean she drives a
0: car on on a cliff basically she kind of stands toe-to-toe with him for a while as they're driving on the cliff in yeah, the second she, one she
1: definitely has skills and she pushes him i think it's just the only reason why it may seem that way is because she's set up basically to as like a romance though it's mm-hmm. like she's gonna yeah. go against a love interest for dookery scott so
0: which speaking of the second one i know we're we're jumping around a little bit one and a half stars on Netflix? <laughs> one and a half stars from the Netflix users. Okay. I know. I understand it may not be have the espionage of the first movie or it may not be as flashy as the fourth movie, but you know what? It's one of my favorite action movies. It's a good movie. Tom Cruise is awesome in it. And you know what? I won't stand for this one and a half star bullshit. I won't do it. It's not one and a half star okay. movie. <laughs> All
1: right.
0: It's better than that. Okay. It's much better than that.
1: All right. Um, Yeah. And then the third one, it's like, well, his wife, the lead is his wife. So they've just changed it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I mean, I think that was an interesting thing to do that. It's just, it's going to be his wife. He's going to try and settle down and, you know, he just gets pulled back in. Every
0: time he thinks he's out.
1: Well, and then the last one, I really liked Paula Patton's character. I mean, she was working for him, Mm -hmm. but I really liked her character. She, you know, lost Josh Holloway's character. And so she was out to get the female assassin Mm -hmm. who killed him and uh, so they
0: were all working towards going to the same villain but they all have different motives so imf has has their motives and they have their reason but paula Patton has her personal reasons why she wants to go after this and jeopardizes the whole mission with that vengeance really
1: you say that and i feel like they kind of try to you know blame that on her i think she's just more emotional it's not just business it's personal with her mm-hmm. and she has the fight with her and does kill her but it's not that she was like thinking about it and decided to do it intentionally to jeopardize the mission it's just they happen to be fighting near mm. an open window and you know what she got kicked out of it yeah so you know as you do well
0: it'll happen those things you shouldn't stand she by the practically asked for it yeah
1: so yeah and i really liked paula Patton, and i was sad that she wasn't going to be in this and Having only seen Rebecca Ferguson in Hercules and not being impressed with that film, I wasn't as excited that we weren't going to get to see Paula Patton again. But I think that Rebecca Ferguson did a great job. Like, I'm really glad that she was in this one, and I think she did a, a great job. Certain things about it, about Mission Impossible, I feel like they get to the point faster or they can be more realistic. And one of them is that Rebecca Ferguson, Ilsa's character, wears great shoes. She wears high heels in the movie. But when it comes time to do stuff, she takes them off. Mm-hmm. She does. She can yeah. wear the amazing shoes. But to really get stuff done, she's going to take them off. And they make two points of it in, talking, in the film.
0: Are you doing, Are you doing? going to make a reference to what I think you're going to make a yes, reference to? Yes, I
1: am. But, like, she does it in the first one when she, like, and she's going to fight and saves Ethan. And then, again, they have to go on the run after the opera, which she's wearing heels because mm-hmm. she's at the opera. It makes perfect sense. She's all dressed up to blend in. And then, you know what? They've got to go on the run. So she's going to, like, take them off. And uh, she's gonna win.
0: Has there been another female character in, say, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, one of the biggest action blockbusters in the history of cinema? Has has there been a female? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Has there been another character that basically spent the entire second half of the movie running around away from things in her heels that you're trying to reference? Jurassic World. Oh my goodness. We were on hiatus, so we didn't even get a chance to talk about that train wreck. But Anything. not the movie train wreck, which was also good. Jurassic World.
1: I would have loved to talk about Jurassic World, by the way. Everybody else heard me complain about it, mm-hmm. though. So yeah, that's fine.
0: Don't need to do that.
1: Whatever. Dinosaur Army. No actual ending. But that's fine. And um, another thing that reminded me of another movie that I did not enjoy as much. Um, so there's a scene... <laughs>
0: we like this movie by the way even though it reminds us of other things that we don't like
1: <laughs> well no there's like well but I know, i'm I'm, I'm saying the shoe thing though solves the problem you can look fabulous but for function when you are going to fight people maybe you can't wear them yeah um so after the opera and benji is supposed to go back to his job and he doesn't want to now leave ethan he wants to to stay with him um Ethan is trying to protect Benji and tell him, you know what, don't stay, don't help me, go back, you know, say that I basically manipulated you and, you know, this awful person. And he would be lying, but he's trying to get Benji, you know, to protect himself. And Benji... He's trying
0: to do what's best for Benji.
1: Yeah, he is. He's trying to help him. And um, Benji then gives a speech about, like, no, I am your friend. I want to stay. I'm going to help. And um, Ethan says, okay. And lets him stay, which makes me think of The Expendables 3 that worked (laughs) so hard to have um, (laughs) Barney, um, Sylvester Stallone's character, um, send all of The Expendables away. The
0: older Expendables.
1: The more recognizable (laughs) actors' (laughs) Expendables away to bring in this new group of people that it's like, well, you know, I'll work with them and if they die, they die. And he just keeps fighting them throughout the whole movie, which doesn't you make it. Can't be
0: serious, use, sending us away.
1: Yes, which doesn't make it fun, and they do it so many times. It's like just all work together. If you want to just yeah. do it, just share. A it's going to end
0: that way anyway. Yeah, we know there's going to be some just, epic thing where they come back. Like, why are we even putting up with this charade? It basically? just seems so
1: thin because that's the general idea anyway. That they're risking their lives all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, why suddenly now is it a problem? But yeah. that really bothered me. Um, but in this one, it was like, all right you know what, both of you have a point, and it was resolved, and we can move on. It took two minutes, mm-hmm. and we are going to continue with our plot. We are not going to waste time with yeah, that.
0: Yeah, there's not this, oh, he goes away. Well, he says, I don't care, Benji. You just go. I don't need you anymore. And then Benji goes off, and then they spend 45 minutes apart, and then he has to come back and no, save we him. Wanna, no, we want no, to see
1: some amazing things and see them get along. So.
0: One thing that's really interesting, and as we're wrapping up here um, – Couple things about the the trivia. Oh, did you not think we were wrapping? up? <laughs> um, some of the things. I mean, I kind of would want to know what the original ending of this movie was because the ending on its own works really well. And if you don't know the story of it, basically that Christopher McQuarrie, the writer director, had the they had the the finished script. They had it shot. They were in the editing room, and they he. And as they're putting the film together, he realized I don't really like this ending. So they wrote a whole new ending, shot it, and then not only did they do that, but then they moved up the release date four months. It was supposed to come out in November time and compete with what is it, Star Wars
1: and Spectre. And, and I can Spectre, see, you don't yeah. want to be, you know, you want to distance yourself from Star Wars because that's just
0: going to be its own. It's thing. It's a huge
1: draw, and then. The plot of Spectre looks very similar to the plot of Rogue Nation. Yeah. and so. it's, a
0: spy, it's a spy on spy sort of, sort of thing as well. So um, it's, it's really interesting that not only were they able to cobble together a coherent ending, film it, and make it look good, but they also were able to move up the release date of the movie and make $50 million its opening weekend. So... I, I just thought that was really I, – I, that that takes a lot of balls to just say, you know what, I know this isn't working. Because so often you have a bad decision, you make a bad movie, and there's little bits and pieces where you just go, oh, we can't do anything about it at this point. It's just it's too late. But he bucked that and said, no, you know what, I'm not proud of what I've done. I want to make sure that I leave my stamp on it and that I'm the, I make it good. And he did. Whatever he did to it, it worked out. It, whatever he did it because it, it, it the movie works great it plays great especially the ending and the ending is it's wonderful
1: and maybe he gets away maybe lane would get away in the end instead but all right so basically um lane has kidnapped um benji mm-hmm. and he's holding him for ethan um to give him the disc but he wants ethan to unlock the disc because it's coded um in order to unlock the disc he needs three points of verification um, from the prime minister. So now Ethan has to kidnap the prime minister, unlock this disc. Um, of
0: Malaysia? The prime minister of Malaysia? <laughs>
1: oh, <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then deliver it to Lane. Um, so how they do that is, um, well, um, Jeremy Renner's character actually doesn't agree with what they're doing, it seems. So he decides to bring in the CIA. He calls Alec Baldwin to come because he thinks that Ethan's basically gone a little crazy. He's getting out of control that he is now going to kidnap the prime minister um, and not, you know, notify British government that this is supposed to happen and stuff like that. Um, but really, it's all a setup. And we get to have the wonderful um, mask reveal that we haven't had. And uh, Ethan um, is playing Atlee. Um, the,
0: the British government guy. Yeah, Elsa's yeah.
1: boss. Mm-hmm. Um To reveal to Alec Baldwin's character that the syndicate is real, since Alec Baldwin doesn't believe the syndicate is real, and he thinks that Ethan is basically causing all of these disasters to justify um,
0: the... Well, that he's using the syndicate to justify all these bad things that he's potentially done.
1: Well, yes. Like, he's causing these disasters to prove why the impossible mission force is necessary. Yeah. So just to, yeah. He describes
0: him as arsonist and firefighter. Yes. That he's causing the fires and then coming in to save the day.
1: Yes. Um,
0: So there's this whole elaborate setup where they basically use the mask trick for Tom Cruise to play the British intelligence guide to get the prime minister to basically talk about the syndicate and say, and, and essentially confirm that it is indeed real and then all this stuff is for good purposes.
1: Yes. Well, and also to make the Prime Minister aware that the syndicate um, is actually happening. Up and running. But watching it again, it's interesting because knowing that Tom Cruise is the Attlee character, he never pushes it. He's never the one that's explaining about the syndicate. He's actually, like, denying it. Like, no, we didn't do that. Like, he's doing what you think he would normally do, and it Mm -hmm. plays well in that scene that he's never the one that's pushing it or like describing what's happening it's always him kind of like denying it yeah. and then other pieces of information are given and then the Prime Minister explains it so he's never doing that which is really interesting that it's not like oh he's just trying to like force it to push his point home when mm-hmm. you see it like later which I thought was um, really was it, interesting. Yeah,
0: it, it was an interesting way to get Alec Baldwin to, to, to sell the deception and then also for Alec Baldwin to buy what it is that they're selling basically yes. so um but yes yeah, so, i mean it 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 has that and then there's another scene uh right after that back at home where th- at, at the very end where alec baldwin who's the director of the cia uh is then describing to the same senate committee that they were at at the beginning saying that this whole deception that they had in the very beginning about wanting to delete the IMF and and remove it and and dissolve it and everything like that was just to basically keep the cover of all of because the, they had everybody in deep cover and they're trying to uncover the syndicate and yes everything they like believe that that,
1: that they had been infiltrated and so. yeah
0: and so and so by shuttering the IMF uh, it allowed them to keep doing that when in reality we all know that it's because he believes they do good work and. Wants to keep them around, so
1: yeah. So it seems like moving forward, Alec Baldwin is now part of the team, and we mm-hmm. can all just move forward and go on our next adventure our next mission. Yeah. Um,
0: In space, maybe.
1: I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. Tom Cruise said they already have ideas. Yeah. They have ideas that they're already. Keeping yeah, they want to start
0: shooting next. Uh, starting to shooting next summer. So to figure out. Yeah, I don't even know.
1: That'll be interesting. And one thing, like, so um, yeah, and Tom Cruise doesn't get together with Ilsa. at the end it's kind of like well you know where you can find me Mm -hmm. um so i'm sure she'll be back though it seemed to work really well so i I feel like she probably would be back if it works out with her schedule and stuff that seems to be why
0: they seem to be doing all
1: this things don't seem to come back but going um,
0: with that i mean that they the, uh, the the time that they take allows them to create something good it's not like you have your entire life to make a first one, and then you have, oh, you have six months to make a new one. No, they can take their time. And it's because Tom Cruise was already an established, the biggest movie star in the world, even back 20 years ago when he made the first one. He still probably is 20 years later, so he can he, he, can, he can do that. He can do that where he doesn't have to rush a project, though, either because he needs money or because he needs cachet or he needs to prove to people that he still can do it. No, he still can do it. Um, so there's been... Five movies now, mm-hmm. okay. How would you how would you rank them? I know they're they're all so different. The rankings of them, I mean the, the the movies are so different They we we talked about they have this thread through the middle, but the styles of the different movies are very different. Um, I mean, how does that factor in? Like, how do you think the different styles factor into a ranking? Really, with the different directors?
1: I mean that may, that's kind of what makes it tough because um, it's not like you're just deciding between like five different cheeseburgers. It's like, well, they all have a different style because they all have a different director. So like with the first one, it has Brian De Palma. And I, you know, it's not an action movie the way the rest of them are. It's very much kind of like an espionage movie. Yeah. and it's I more like the show. Yeah, like yeah. that's just, you know, and I enjoy it. It definitely makes it, it sets it apart from the, the rest of them. But um, yeah, it's Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Well, and then you, and then I think... It's a sort of a polar opposite on the other end from MI2 for with John Woo.
1: It is. I feel like it's the, the most extreme almost. Like, even though they are so well-known now for the crazy action that they have, I feel like it's that the first one is much like an espionage movie, and the second one is, like, over-the-top ridiculous mm-hmm. action like it's just like okay we're just we're just gonna go for it yeah. we're just gonna do this this is just gonna be like it's
0: it, it's really just a john woo movie that happens to be a mission mission impossible themed i mean it has all the all the trademarks of a john woo film but I'm it just takes place. oh yeah i know it's great it's wonderful like you know the tom cruise has a gun in each hand tom cruise's going on a motorcycle and firing behind him using the side view mirror on the motorcycle and figuring out, like, it's just little ridiculous things like that.
1: Yeah, you got your slow motion, you've yeah. got your doves, yeah. you've got your, your signature weapon. Yeah. Yes, like, it's all just, it's it's wonderful, you know? Yeah. So, go see Face Off in The Killer for yeah. uh, for John Woo. Um, and so, the
0: third one's J.J. Abrams. Yes. Which we read an interesting factoid the other night, because we were catching up on the third one. That it seems weird to think about it now, but at the time, it was the highest budget given to a first-time feature director. Now, he'd done a lot of stuff before then. He'd, he'd, he'd had success in television, but he'd never actually directed a feature film before. And what was the thing that you pointed out? Basically, that, like, oh, now he's making a new Star Wars film. Yeah, so
1: now he's <laughs> making Star Wars, which yeah. you could say is, like, the biggest, like, yes, it's the biggest project that somebody really can be given. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but at the time, yeah, it was just that Tom Cruise had seen Alias and liked Alias. Yeah. So, it's like, well, you know, Get hey, this, this, guy this Felicity guy is yeah. doing some good work, so... Yeah, all very different backgrounds. Yeah, when you think about it, it's like well, John Woo has this like Hong Kong career, and he made mm-hmm. some really respectable, you know, like action movies that people liked. And Brian De Palma, you know, he did Scarface and like The Untouchables. But yeah, classic also, crime
0: thrillers. But also yeah. like some
1: other weird, like like femme fatale erotic thrillers. Yes. yes. Oh gosh, I remember that when I worked at Blockbuster, um, they had these little. DVDs that we would watch and stuff like that and you'd play and you'd see ads for stuff and while I was working that the movie Femme Fatale came out that he directed and it described him as master of the erotic thriller and I was just like really? Like it seems so odd to me but he does have a lot of those kind of movies yeah. um, on his filmography but I just thought that that was kind of weird at the time so uh, a little bit different mm-hmm. and then with Ghost Protocol you have Brad Bird which is a completely different background you yeah. have like Ratatouille <laughs> and The Incredibles and The Iron Giant so it's very much like animation which is a completely different thing to come to this and he did an amazing job
0: oh and he was going to come back and do the fifth one too but he had (sighs) to do tomorrowland so irritating when, when we when we read that news recently
1: but yeah with all of that in mind all the very different backgrounds and stuff um so i probably now uh would rank them four five and then either one or two. It's hard to say just because they're so different and then Mm -hmm. three last. But three is still a good movie. It's very entertaining. Philip Seymour Hoffman makes a great bad guy and um,
0: That's the only one that I don't that I have only seen once and it, it doesn't have a lot of memorable moments to me. I feel like I can pick out little bits and pieces from the other movies that I can either quote or that I can just call up and remember but the third one doesn't have a lot outside of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance as the bad guy. I remember the trailer better than I remember the actual movie, which was just that whole "I'm gonna if you have a girl, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her." Like and you're like, "Whoa, Philip Seymour Hoffman's gonna be a great villain." Um, the third movie, I, I I would say is is still the least out of the five, but it's your your splitting hairs. It's better than sixty percent of other action movies out there, anyway. Okay,
1: so, so then what is your full rating?
0: It goes. Four. Ghost Protocol is my favorite. Okay. And then three is my least favorite. And then one would be above three. Okay. Okay. Because right. the thing is, is that I don't know where to slot this one in. Okay. Is that because the second one I mentioned, I love it. I love the second one. Mm-hmm. It had a lot. It, I, you know, I have a lot of memories attached to it. So I have that part of it. But as a whole, from A to Z, as a movie – I'd say five is a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, so I'm basically battling myself against well, do I think that I want to pick the movie that is better all the way through or the movie that I think has a little bit better action but is not great (laughs) as an actual movie? Um, But I think at the end of the day, I probably would have to stick with two. So four, two, five, one, three. Okay. That's what I would do. All right. Well, that's it. We hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've been that th- this quenches your podcast thirst that you have had out there in podcast land. Um, of course, you know we'll be trying to to get you more and more shows, more and more content coming uh, in the near future. You can like the Facebook page, McCarran Podcast Network. I would presume you would know how to spell it if you found this. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes. Please leave us uh, comments if you do like us or if you don't. It doesn't really matter one way or the other, frankly. Um, but yeah, you can uh, get in touch on the page and uh, McCarenpod at gmail.com, mccarronpod at gmail.com. We'll be coming at you again soon. Thank you, Casey, for coming and talking about this wonderful film.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Goodbye.